This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites. Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021, as of recording of this. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and joined by co-host and producer extraordinaire, Matthew Marister. What's going on, Riley? Yo, dude. <laughs> Glad to be here, man. A brother from another mother. <laughs> A little bit smaller in stature. A little bit. But I'll still claim you. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, today is our industry news and gear reviews show. Uh, this episode actually titled uh, uh, that there's a, a well, new gun. I forgot the title already, but it's a new gun coming to market from Taurus, and it's called the GX4. Uh, but we're also talking about some big news out of the Supreme Court. Uh, also, some things out of California with regards to red flag gun confiscations I think you'll find interesting. we got lawsuits going on in the industry right now. We're going to talk about that, who's involved, what's uh, what the issues there are. And the timing of all that is kind of interesting because of this new release from Taurus and the GX4. We're going to get into all that here later. It's going to be a great show. But today's episode is sponsored by CCW Safe. CCW Safe, I've been a member of, uh, we were actually just talking about this pre-show, uh, for nearly two years now. I'm very, very happy with their coverage. And I'll tell you, I rest a lot easier at night knowing that I have that coverage. Now, all of you listening to the podcast, automatically you can save 10% off CCW Safe coverage by using our special podcast listeners po- uh, coupon code or discount, if you will, which is CC Podcast. I'll save you 10%. CC podcast for concealed carry podcast guardian nation members save even more. I think 20%. So double that 10% discount. Uh, If you aren't a guardian nation member, you should check it out and look into it. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to consider being a member of guardian nation, including that uh, substantial discount. In fact, it's the only place you'll find a discount like that uh, in that, you know, of that size um, for, for CCW safe coverage. So uh, CCW Safe, great partners. Uh, we love those guys. They're a great team. You guys, if you've been longtime listeners of the podcast, you've heard me talk about them many times before uh, because of the the incredible work that they do and, and have done uh, specifically for some of their members that have needed their services and sometimes in a very, very big way. Uh, they are still, to my knowledge, the only self-defense coverage program that has successfully and all the way throughout the whole process stood by their member, successfully defended a member against a first-degree murder charge, which is which is pretty huge. That's 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 very that's a huge testament to me uh, of you know that they stand behind their members, that they are they are there to, in the best interest of their members, uh, that they're not just looking for an easy way out trying to get some kind of plea deal or that sort of thing. This was a case you can listen to, I think it was a two-part episode we did a while back with Steven Maddox talking about his whole story uh, and his experience with that. So you can go check that out and hear it for yourself. But it was a case where he was falsely accused of murder. CCW Safe backed him up and provided his defense coverage, Okay, paid for that entire case on his behalf. 
and that was i'm sure very expensive but that's what they're there for that's why it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it someone just said in the facebook comments a little bit ago so guys ccwsafe.com use coupon code cc podcast to save 10 percent guardian nation members save more and also today's episode sponsored by ammosupplywarehouse.com ammosupplywarehouse.com you've you've probably heard them mentioned before as well i just saw they had some uh, uh smb nine millimeter I think 24 grain ammo in stock uh, as of this morning. Uh, a little bit better price than some of the stuff that they'd had more recently. So things seem to be easing up a little bit. I know it's still expensive, but hey, it was there and it was available. And so if you are in need of some ammo, I would certainly give AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com a look. And also Guardian Nation members, again, save, save additional uh, in fact, there's no discount, sorry, for podcast listeners uh, uh, in general, but Garden Asian members do get a discount. I think it's 5%, which may not seem like much, but margins on ammo are pretty tight anyway. So mm-hmm. uh, the folks at AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com, very generous to even give us a discount at all for our members. Let's get into our first story, Matthew. Yeah, let's um, do it. We may break this down in greater detail in a future episode, but uh, this was big news this week. Just a couple days ago, I think on Monday, it was announced out of the Supreme Court of the United States that they ruled unanimously, which I thought was, you know, honesty, this is a big, I think it's a pretty big ruling. I thought it was especially telling that it was unanimous nine to zero. Keep in mind, this was a case that worked its way up through the appellate courts where I think the first district court ruled against the yes. plaintiff mm-hmm. and uh, which uh, is was like Coniglia or, or Coniglia. Yeah. Yeah. Coniglia is the, is the name of the, of the plaintiff. Um, the, basically the way this all went down, the backstory is we've talked about this case before, uh, probably sure. a couple of times in past episodes as, as it worked its way up through the system. And so basically you had a husband and wife that had a, this, uh, an argument, a disagreement. The husband at one point pulls a gun out, like sets it on the table or something and says, well, why don't you just shoot me and let's just end this, you know, now kind of thing. Um, probably not the smartest thing to do. Okay. Um, not, okay. Not smart at all to do. It was, it was a terrible choice this person made. Uh, and, and I don't condone that. Uh, that. I think that was very irresponsible behavior. However, the way this went was that the wife left she spent a night away from home. She did not hear from her husband the next day when she tried to get in touch with him. So she calls for a welfare check because she was concerned that he did something to himself. Police show up. They say, you know what? We're going to take you into uh, the hospital for a mental evaluation. Uh, and he agreed to do so, apparently with the understanding from the police department that they were not going to do anything about his guns. They were just going to take him to the, to the hospital and uh, get, him, get him checked out. And that was it. But. After they took him away, they went into his home and took two guns, confiscated two guns, claiming that it was, you know, that it was a safety issue. It was a community caretaking type issue, which is an exception, um, uh, you know, un- under the laws as far as warrantless seizure- seizures under the Fourth Amendment. Uh, it comes from a case back in like 73 or thereabouts. So <clears throat> that's basically how this all went down. So he has his guns confiscated. Uh, without a warrant, and uh, you know, and I don't even think a I don't even think a red flag law applied in no. that case. Uh, so, so that wasn't even the issue. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that at all. It was just simply th- they felt like that's what they needed to do. 
for his for his safety and uh, had no warrant to do so. So the Supreme Court said, no, no can do, cannot do this. They basically reaffirmed that there are some exceptions for vehicle searches um, under a community community caretaking clause. Uh, but uh, but they said that homes, hey, this is a very different thing. It's one thing when you have a vehicle that's on the side of a road that you've just arrested somebody or they've been taken to a hospital or that sort of thing. And so you have to you have to have that vehicle removed from the road for community safety. Okay, and in the process, you do what's called an inventory, right? And something that's depending on who you talk to and depending on circumstances has has been controversial at times. But the idea there is that we're going to take a look in the vehicle, take take an inventory of what's in the vehicle. Because keep in mind, the police department is taking is is is, confis- is towing and confiscating that vehicle for community safety, and so to prevent uh, accusations of stuff going missing, that sort of thing. The idea is, hey, we're going to have this vehicle towed. We're going to do an inventory of the of the contents of the vehicle, and sometimes in the course of that inventory. And yes, it is abused at times, but sometimes in the course of that, things are found that might be used against the driver or an occupant of that vehicle in a case against them. Okay. But very different situation, Supreme Court is saying, from a situation with somebody that's at their home. Mm-hmm. And so uh, ruled in favor of Coniglia. And this is, I don't know what the... Um, full repercussions of or 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 results of this are going to be as it relates to certain other laws but i do think that this throws into question the idea of so many of these red flag laws which are the current administration in the white house and many members of congress in this in the senate have suggested we should have a federal red flag law which essentially is a law that says we're going to confiscate guns in special circumstances without warrants Mm-hmm. from people. So this whole case call and by the again a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court 9 to 0. So even the liberal justices of the court said this is not okay, got to have a warrant. What was your thought on take on this Matthew? Yeah, I, I thought it was important I, and I think the way this case got snuck into the Supreme Court cuz we've seen a lot of times the Supreme Court's kind of uh shifted or pivoted away from straight up you know, firearm cases, Second Amendment type issues. But this was a kind of a, a, a I don't want to say a backdoor, but a case that got in under more of a Fourth Amendment issue mm-hmm. rather than in just a plot, you know, pertain to guns. Um, and, you know, so this was this is big. Um, and like you said, the the unanimity or unanimity of the of the Supreme Court on this is pretty is pretty telling. Um, and, you know, what's, what's interesting in the, in, it, you know, we co- talked about the case and you covered it completely. I, I think, you know, some of the, some of the things I'm thinking of when, you know, when I'm thinking about these cases is this is why a registration, um, is so important because if you are going to go into a home, how do you know, unless the, the, the firearms are registered, how are you going to know that you have all the, you know, if, if the, if the idea is we need to remove guns from the owner or from the home for community caretaking, uh, if the wife, I mean, I know my wife probably doesn't know how many guns I have, right? Um, she doesn't know, you know, where they all are. 
Um, and so if I were, you know, had a red flag log, uh, you know, served against me or red flag uh, restraining order, whatever against me, and they come to s- search the house and grab the guns. I mean, you can only search so much. You can only tear apart so much stuff. And uh, unless there's a registration of all the guns I own, how are you going to seize all the guns? And eventually I come back out and, you know, so this is all of this, you know, just to say that, um, you know, the, the registration is a critical component of this, um, this taking of guns without, without permission or consent or exigency or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, a unanimous decision. You had uh, concurring opinions written by Chief Justice Roberts uh, with Justice Breyer uh, joining his, Justice Kavanaugh writing his own concurrence. Uh, you know, and they all seem to share similar concerns about uh, the repercussions of warrantless seizures. Um, Justice Alito said that the decision Monday implicates, but does not address red flag laws. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to, and, and, and again, we don't know what all the repercussions from this are going to be, but the way I, I kind of see and read that is that it, it calls into question the idea of red flag laws and probably creates a pretty solid foundation for someone to bring a case to to the courts in the event that they had guns seized without a warrant in a red flag, uh, uh, you know, statute issue. And so uh, that, that'll be really interesting to see what happens next. And, you know, based on how this one, again, this was less, like you mentioned, this was less of a second amendment issue, more of a fourth amendment one, but it's dealing with seizures of, of property that is also protected by second amendment, mm-hmm. um, which perhaps is why this was such a, uh, resounding, uh, uh, you know, opinion on the matter so far as from the whole court. <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, something to continue to watch and to see how this, uh, how this influences future decisions, especially in the lower courts. Cause again, keep in mind that, the first district court got this thing wrong in the first place, at least in the eyes of the Supreme court, certainly in my eyes as well. And, um, yeah, so we'll see, uh, if this also again, creates an opportunity to call into question red flag laws. Yeah. Um, let's go on now to our second story, Matthew. And actually you just wrote this up for our website, published it this morning. Uh, may, by the way, folks, May is the, uh, stop the bleed month. So there's a national campaign ongoing throughout the month uh, to teach and educate the general public about stop the bleed. And all, specifically May 20th, which is tomorrow, is stop the bleed day. So Matthew, tell us a little bit about that and about the article published on concealedcarry.com this morning. Yeah, so Stop the Bleed, they're an, it's an organization, um, and right now they've trained 1.5 million people um, in basic, um, you know, uh, immediate emergency uh, action to address major bleeds, injuries that uh, have have major bleeding that, if not stopped, could potentially, you know, uh, lead to death. And um, their goal is to train 200 million people um, to help, 
you know, the average person, you know, we, we, if you grew up, uh, like w- when I was growing up, everybody, uh, CPR was like a huge thing, right? Like you were, um, CPR trained or qualified or Red Cross training, right? And all that basically was, was compressions in, 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 um, uh, breaths, right? And so we kind of, as medicines progress, realize like, yeah, that's great to keep the heart pumping and everything, but circulation of blood is probably uh, a critical thing. And if you're bleeding out, you can breathe all you want for the person, but if they don't have blood in their body, they're going to die. So stopping major bleeding is important. It's uh, it's a critical step um, in stabilizing a patient or, or, or anybody for EMS, right? Um, if you think about you know, the, the amount of time it takes for somebody to bleed out, go unconscious. Um, it doesn't take very long. And oftentimes it's the time is less than your average response from EMS. So it's critical that average people know how to stop, uh, stop bleeding. And, uh, so EMS can actually do their work. So, um, like you said, uh, this month is stop the bleed month. And, um, so what we're doing for, uh, stop the bleed the month is, um, for today and up till tomorrow at midnight, um, mountain man medical is offering a 15% discount on, um, all the trauma gear, uh, that's sold on that site, um, all the kits, all the individual items and, and things like that. Um, and then our course, the, um, emergency trauma response course is free. And that's a fantastic course. Um, I know you shot it with, uh, with Brian and everybody who's taken the class. We have a, a Facebook group page of people that have gone through the course and, uh, have found it to be fantastic. If you haven't checked out Mountain Man Medical, uh, Brian's, uh, YouTube channel, he's putting out tremendous, uh, video training on how to use the different um, kits and, and items and, and all kinds of stuff related to that. But, um, if you're not, if you're, if you're like, ah, I'm CPR trained or I was, a, you know, in the, in the military, you know, 40 years ago or something, a lot has changed as far as, uh, ideas on how to treat people. And, uh, it doesn't take a trauma surgeon to help some, uh, help, uh, somebody, um, who's been injured, uh, help them, you know, treat that injury, um, immediately and stabilize that patient so they can be treated by EMS, actual doctors and stuff. It doesn't take a lot of gear. It doesn't take a lot of training, uh, or, you know, extensive training, but you do need training and you do need some specific gear in certain situations. And, um, so I would highly recommend taking advantage of the free training and, uh, head over to Mountain Man Medical and check out the the kits and stuff as part of stop the bleed month. So that's awesome. That's a deal. You know, it's the only, uh, free online course of it that I'm aware of that goes into the level of detail that, that the mountain man medical one does. And there's some other good courses out there for sure. Uh, but it's a pretty comprehensive course. And, uh, the you know, instructor there, Brian does a great job in that course guys, again, take advantage of 15% off, uh, everything on mountainmanmedical.com. Uh, so yeah, check it out. It's good. It's a good thing. You know, I'm really passionate about, uh, life-saving stop the bleed related matters i've taken some some pretty cool courses in the past uh including some more some i once did like a five-day uh i can't remember what it was called this is this is going back a little ways uh probably about nine years or so ago i had the opportunity to take a really really awesome trauma course 
uh, over the course of a week, paid for by my work at the time. And uh, yeah, at the very least, take a stop the bleed class. Uh, well, at the very least, take our online free course at mountainmanmedical.com. Uh, and you can see me all bare chested and stuff. And, you know, and that one, <laughs> if that like, you know, if that whets somebody's appetite. We don't want to turn them off to the course, right? Although it may turn off some of you as well. <laughs> uh, you know, but at the very least do that. Secondary to that, get a stop the bleed course. Um, and, and then also if you can get CPR AED certified, always a good thing to do. Uh, again, a little bit different, you know, from stop the bleed in terms of the end goal, but there are two things that should really work together, right? If you got somebody that's really bleeding out, we need to get that bleeding stopped right away. There's some things we can do. Okay. Tourniquets, of course, being a, a very, very important, uh, stop gap for that, but, uh, stopping the bleeding, but then we got to continue other rescue efforts. Uh, so see, you know, CPR and, and that sort of thing where it's, re- where it's needed and where it's required. ADs, man, I love seeing more and more of those things get out there. Um, there is some training involved with using them, uh, at least using them fully and co- competently. Um, there was a, a guy just last year or two years ago, say he had a heart attack at a three gun match in Missouri and, uh, not the range itself, but somebody there attending the match had an AED in their pickup truck and they were re- able to run and grab it and use it. And they saved that man's life. Um, so yeah, this is the medical aspect of being what I consider to be a well-rounded guardian is really like, don't overlook it guys. It's super important. We're, we're passionate about saving lives because, and therefore we carry a gun. We should equally be passionate about saving lives by uh, life-saving measures, uh, medically speaking. Let's go now to another story written by Matthew Marister on concealedcarry.com. <laughs> this one says 2020 California gun confiscations up. Um, since you wrote this article, I'm going to let you take take the lead on this. But basically, in this article, you 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 highlight uh, California's red flag law, which we've kind of already talked about this a little bit today with the Coniglia ruling. Um, and and this uh, their red flag law was passed five years ago. It was a 2016. Uh, so now there's been about five years worth of red flag law uh, being in effect, and there's been a number. In fact a huge number of gun confiscations uh, under that red flag statute. And particularly you point out how, how that's been actually upticking quite a bit. So why don't you take it from there? Yeah. So yeah, it's been around since uh, 2016. So about five years Um, last in 2019, California sees, and we're talking about the red flag laws uh, that we alluded to earlier with the, with the Supreme court case. But um, so California, um, Law enforcement agencies seized uh, 1,110 firearms in 2019. That was the highest uh, that they had, the the highest number of firearms they seized. Um, And the problem is, is in 2020, um, they seized 1,285. Now, that might not seem like a huge, you know, jump, but it's still almost 1300 guns that were taken from people. And there's no, as far as I understand or been able to find, there's no report that um, the DOJ or the attorney general releases talking about the disposition of these cases. Not, and I'm not talking about individual names or, or privacy con- uh, issues. I'm talking about of the 1285 firearms, were any of these returned to the, fi- to the owner? Um, how many were proven 
were shown to have, you know, uh, the um, seizure was, I don't want to say illegal, because obviously if there's a court order, they're saying that it it would technically be legal, but there was no actual justification or concern other than um, past that that initial hearing, right? So that the, the firearms were received a uh, uh, return. How many of the firearms weren't returned? Um, how many, you know, uh, issues where um, the person tried to get the firearm back and for some reason, the you know, the police uh, didn't have it. There's been issues where uh, property has been confiscated and then lost it somewhere in, in the, in records department or the, uh, the evidence departments of uh, police departments and things like that, or it gets, you know, uh, disposed of as accidentally or destroyed. Um, what's the average time that these people are getting their, their property back. So there's all kinds of questions that go on, right. With, and it might just seem like 1285, but as we look at the Supreme court case, you know, how many of these times these, this property was seized, um, with sort of iffy, you know, um, backing. So, um, there in this report, uh, that I, I, in the article, um, that I researched, they talk about a report, um, and they, a Los Angeles times article. And the, the issue is, is in this article, this guy who is well, you know, well known, I guess, in the, um, gun, confiscation uh ideology groups i'll say it that way uh he's part of the 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 brady you know uh organization type mentality but who believes that if you seize enough firearms then you'll make society safer right um and he asserts and makes a statement he says extreme risk laws like california save lives uh this tool this is a tool that families and law enforcement can utilize to ensure the safety of their loved ones themselves and the entire state. Now, there's no, absolutely no evidence. He doesn't back it up. It's just an assertion. And based off of 21 cases, 21, they looked at 21 cases out of the 1,285 total. So that's uh, 0.15%, I guess, of the, the total. Um, they, in, in those, he says, um, he says, let me see, um, these things, uh, these incidents might not, might have occurred without the order. So gun violence was stopped because without the order, um, violence might have occurred. So th- this is one of those things that they're just asserting that by us taking these guns, we might have stopped crimes from happening. And so it's a very um, weak foundation, but they continue to assert that these red flag laws have unequivocal impact on saving lives. And if they do, I'm sure that they, I'm, I'm sure that out of the, those 1200 or close to 1300 guns, potentially maybe one of those seizures, two of those seizures, I don't know how many, um, might've saved somebody from committing suicide. I'm not going to discount that. I'm not going to discount that it didn't save them from, you know, going out and killing somebody, but I'm saying, we don't know. We don't know what the impact of these, um, these seizures are, are having, um, because there's no reports that we know of and nobody's being honest with the, with the data. So um, yeah, so it's going up in California and I assume as more States continue to do this, um, we'll continue. Maybe this uh, ruling in the Supreme court will have some sort of impact in, 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 on the evidence evidence needed to even seize these guns. But I don't, I don't know, but we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate you covering that for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I was 
picking up on some of the things you you highlighted and pointed out as far as uh, statements uh, like from uh, the Brady campaign uh, representative from from that organization saying that uh, you know that they likely saved some lives by the uh, nature of having this red flag law in California. Um, that's that's the challenge with things like this is there it, it's sort of like you know the other day there was a story that hit the news uh not in a big way uh mostly just local news uh and it'll probably come up in our justified save uh episode next month of a, a mass shooting that was likely prevented mm-hmm. by a neighbor okay you had a man with a rifle that started shooting in this like apartment building complex, you know, like in the courtyard area, he was like outside yelling at people saying, come out and and different things and trying to shoot people. Um, He ended up going into a lady's uh, apartment and shooting and killing her. And uh, another man that lived there in the complex grabbed his own rifle um, and presumably like a AR style rifle. Didn't, I don't know if it specified that level. I know that the guy that had the, 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 the perpetrator of the crime had an AR type rifle, but anyway, but another neighbor grabbed his own rifle and shot and killed this man. So it's like, you know, it definitely seemed like it was uh, getting to a place where it was going to turn into a, a mass shooting, but it was prevented. So it's like, we believe we prevented this, but at the same time, you don't, always know for sure and that's a challenge with measuring the effectiveness of something like a red flag law is well we think we prevented some deaths and saved some lives can't really answer that question with any you know amount of definitiveness um the other statistics you mentioned like there's there's things that we should be able to know about Mm -hmm. uh, because that would help us paint a little bit more accurate picture about the effectiveness of red flag laws Mm -hmm. um now, please keep in mind that my commentary right now is not meant in any way to be an endorsement of red flag laws, but just simply talking about the, the, the concept and the fact that they do exist. So it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile conversation to talk about the efficacy and the effectiveness of said laws. Um, it would be easy to say, well, they're not effective and they're stupid. Um, but, uh, you know, we believe in an intellectual discussion here at the Concealed Carry podcast. Um, what I can say is, is there's a lot of people that had their guns taken away and it seems that it seems likely to me that there was a number of these that were probably uncalled for. (laughs) And so, uh, something to be concerned about for sure. Uh, and that's why we are concerned about red flag laws. Let's go now to a story also on concealedcarry.com, also written by Matthew Marister. <laughs> There's uh, a trend here. But I'll take the lead on this one. Uh, this is a lawsuit uh, from Sig Sauer, actually, against Springfield Armory. So the P365 released a few years ago. Uh, I remember having a conversation, and I think I even did an interview with uh, Phil Strader, who is the product manager at Sig Sauer over pistols, and, uh, you know, kind of the the brainchild of Phil Strader is the P365. It was the first major project that he personally oversaw. Uh, and so <clears throat> Phil, I remember discussed about the idea that the P365 is designed around the magazine and the magazine was actually designed and engineered first. 
And so, uh, and you had, there, there are three patents dealing with the magazine alone on the P365. I'm not aware of any patents on the pistol itself. There could be, but I just, that didn't really come up in the conversation, but there were three patents alone to the magazine of the P365. Um, I remember researching at one point, and I don't remember all the specifics necessarily, but, um, you know, keep in mind that prior to this time, pistol magazines were sort of always thought of being one certain way, you know, meaning that if you had a double stack nine millimeter magazine, like this P321 I'm holding up here, then it was basically going to be a certain size. And by nature of the size necessitated that the gun was a full size or mid-size gun to fit it. So then all of a sudden you get a P365 that comes along and they somehow fit 10 rounds into this little tiny thing. I mean, it's not very big at all. In fact, I have one that's, this is actually not a P365 mag. I'll, I'll talk about what this is in a moment, <laughs> but, but, but it's very tiny. Okay. It's, it's small like this. My P365 mags are out on my workbench. That's why I don't have it with me, but, um, so all of a sudden, like overnight, the industry like is flipped over, you know, flipped upside down on its head that, whoa, like how come we didn't think to try to cram more rounds into a smaller space in a double stack magazine to make a, basically a 380 sized gun. Okay. Or a single stack size nine millimeter, but very, very compact, but give it high capacity essentially or at least what people would consider to be, you know, get hitting that 10 round threshold, uh, I think is really key. That's for a long time. It's been my little arbitrary number that I like to have as a minimum capacity on any carry gun that I have. Um, John Korea, I think talks about, you know, the, that it's a good idea to have basically three rounds per, per, for, for three bad guys, basically nine rounds, um, you know, and that kind of comes from his takeaways from all the shootings that he's analyzed through the years and, and done his videos on and stuff. So have three rounds for every bad, for each bad guy, and, you know, for enough for three bad guys. Um, that's nine rounds. So again, that's right around that 10, 10 round mark. So P365 comes along, patents three different ways, their magazine shortly thereafter, you know, a year or so later, the Springfield Hellcat is released. I guess it's more like two years, almost two years. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember having the very thought, I'm like, okay, for Springfield to be competitive with the P365 and with, you know, with their new Hellcat, they had to figure out how to fit all those rounds in that magazine. And they managed to squeeze 11 in there. And that was their little, you know, kind of screw you moment to, to SIG, I'm sure, is that, look, we got 11 plus one, where you only have 10 plus one. Um, but uh, basically now SIG is suing Springfield Armory, saying that they've infringed on, I think it was two of those three patents to accomplish what they did with the Hellcat. So it took some time to get there, but I kind of, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, again, I I, I wondered about this very thing a few years back when the Hellcat came at, first came out and was announced and thought, hmm, if they weren't really careful, they may have infringed on these patents of SIGs. Mm-hmm. So, and that's certainly SIGs position here. Um, it's not up for us to decide what happens here with this, but uh, it'll be, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what comes of this. 
you know, there, there's been a lot of Hellcats sold in the last year or two. Um, so that means there's a lot of these things out there. Uh, it's pretty much impossible at this point to call those things back over a patent infringement. So if this goes in six hours favor, then it likely means a, a massive payout uh, from Springfield to SIG and probably an ongoing essentially licensing payout on every one, you know, on, on every additional one sold in the future, mm-hmm. which could be, you know, big, big bucks for, uh, for SIG from Springfield. That's always a great way to, you know, stick it to your, your, your competitor mm-hmm. <laughs> is to be able to actually get money from your competitor over a competing product. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, obviously, it's have to work its way through the courts, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Now, I, go ahead. Go on, go on. No, no. I was just going to address um, what the the chief executive officer of SIG said, and because I, I know, like a lot of times, we see companies sue each other, and our gut instinct is like, "Man, why are we cannibalizing our own?" You know, like why is one gun company suing another over what to us might seem like a petty patent infringement. Right. And, but he made a statement. I thought it was pretty, pretty, you know, important. So uh, I include in the, in the article, but I'll just give you a quick rundown of what he said. He said, when six hour, uh, when the six hour P365 was introduced, it took the market by storm as the most innovative high capacity micro compact pistol to be introduced due to its magazine capacity and quickly became one of the top selling handguns in the market due to its unprecedented innovation. I agree with that. I think we all do. Um, SIG is not a litigious company, but given the extent of infringement by Springfield, SIG has a responsibility to protect both our intellectual property and the significant investment we make to develop our innovative products. As a company, we're proud to yield more than 100 patents worldwide, more than Fortin, blah, blah, blah. Um, So anyways, they're talking, I mean, so when you see it from that kind of point of view and like i said i or, or like riley said we don't know what's going to happen with this right um we don't know what's going to happen with the with, if it's you know well-founded case or not or what it is but if you look at it through that lens like they've invested a lot of money in designing and, and, and getting the patents and, and things like that and if a company were to take that um it's not you know it, it's not just trying to to um you know be I don't know, be a jerk to the other company, right? It's not just about competition. Like we don't want that company to make money, but it's about we've invested money and it's not a smart thing to invest money and then let somebody else steal that and then take your design and, and, and run with it. So I can understand. And if it's a legitimate, you know, uh, case, I can understand them bringing it to court. Like I, I think that that's probably wise to do. So curiously enough, like within a day or two after the announcement of the uh, lawsuit from SIG, uh, Springfield Armory releases a 15-round Hellcat magazine, <laughs> which presumably I, I would think would, would likely share many of the exact same design characteristics of the smaller 11 and 13-round Hellcat magazines. So I just... You know, I'm sure maybe that was already in the works and maybe this lawsuit hadn't hit yet. And it's like, well, we got to press forward. I don't know. But I just thought the timing of all that was pretty interesting. I would, I, again, I would assume that this 15 round, this new 15 round magazine, like literally just announced two days ago, um, would likely also infringe. And so that's just even more potential liability on Springfield's part uh, if for some reason the courts rule against them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the more of these things they sell, the more money they're going to owe SIG, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's just the way it goes. People ha- people do have a right to protect their intellectual property. Um, I, I, I have generally agree with that concept. I think it's a reasonable thing that, you know, you come up with something, that's your thing, and it should you should have a right to protect it, just like anything else in life. Um, but uh, the courts are there for a reason, and we got to let the courts do their thing and sort these sorts of things out. So we'll uh, certainly keep you apprised as this case makes its way forward through the, uh, through the court system. So um, we do have here one more story, um, and that is from the Rio Times. I just realized, Matthew, this one actually, the article cuts off. You have to have a subscription if you want to see the whole thing. But there is a link to a video, it looks like. I didn't actually check this link, but I believe this is on the Firearm blog, uh, which is, uh, I'm going to confirm this right now. Sure enough, yeah. So it's a link to the firearm blog. Ah, I got the ad playing in the background here. <laughs> um, so, there, so there's a. And I'll tell you what, we'll make sure it gets in the show notes. Um, a link to this same video, so that you can also see this. This will be all the details on this new pistol release from Taurus. So uh, just today, officially announced the Taurus GX4, hmm. uh, which is interestingly enough. Taurus's entrance into <laughs> the same market that we were just talking about between SIG and Springfield and that whole fiasco. Um, so, all right, here's the deal, Matthew. I didn't, I didn't tell you this beforehand, but I have a GX4 right here. You didn't. I'm surprised. That's <laughs> interesting. Literally just got this thing a, a couple days ago. Um, Taurus uh, did send this to me for review. And uh, so I'm taking a look at uh, at it, but I haven't shot it yet because I just just got it. Unfortunately, due to demand in Colorado, background checks that normally used to take like five, like you'd go to a gun store, you'd be like, I want that gun. I'll buy that gun. You do the background check. Five minutes later, you walk out the store with it. Um, that's not the case right now in Colorado. I had a several day wait. Uh, and so um, the uh, so this was sent out before the official release. So it was embargoed until today. So now I can actually talk about this thing. Um, but I haven't even had it long enough to shoot it. I am planning on taking it to the range here today when we're done with the podcast. Uh, a quick trip to the indoor range so I can put some rounds through it and give a more um, intelligent assessment of the new GX4 from Taurus. So what it is, though, basically is a, it's a P365 competitor is what it is. It, it's, very, it's very much identical in size, shape, weight, uh, form factor, it does come with an 11 plus one capacity. So it's 11 round magazine here. They say they have 13 round mags available as well. I did not get any uh, 13 round mags. I, I just have two 11 round mags. It's going to take a while for me to do like a 500 round test loading these things, you know, two at a time. But <clears throat> um, I will just say, you know, I don't want to prolong this because I'll do a more in-depth review at, at, in, a, in a future episode. Um, but uh, I have to say I'm actually just on first appearances, quite impressed with this Taurus GX4. All right. Now in the past, I'm not, I'm not a big fanboy, if you will, of Taurus. I've never, you know, I'm not, um, historically speaking, I've owned a couple of Tauruses in my life. 
one of which I was a carry pistol of mine for a time. I was a Taurus PT-111. Uh, and uh, it was... It was, I wouldn't say it was a terrible pistol, um, but it wasn't great. It was not very, it wasn't super reliable. It was, it would work most of the time. And at that time, I felt like that was okay. That was good enough for me, but it, uh, it's not what I would consider to be reliable by today's standards. Uh, meaning that probably I'd get one or two failures out of every hundred rounds. And that's just too much in my opinion. Um, I think a gun should be able to run, you know, at the very least 500 rounds and preferably more like a thousand rounds without any failures. Um, so anyway, but first impressions, it's got a pretty interesting trigger there. Looks kind of cool. I think it's an aluminum trigger with a plastic, uh, safety, you know, for this, for the trigger. Uh, it, uh, the take up's not bad, um, relatively short take up pretty defined wall there and a very glock like break um, this trigger feels like a glock trigger to me um, if you look at taurus's promo videos they make you know pretty big deal about how awesome the trigger is i wouldn't say it's super awesome other than its pickup and the travel and everything is i think pretty pretty solid like i think it's i definitely think you know short take up short break um, very well defined to break which some people prefer i actually prefer more of a rolling break to my pistols uh, nowadays, but, um, but it's not a bad trigger. I think it's a pretty good trigger. I like the mag release better on the GX four than like the G three, G three C G two C series pistols. Um, it is not ambidextrous. I mean, the, the slides the, or mag release, I think you can swap around, but the uh, gun itself's not set up as an ambidextrous gun. So you have a slide stop on one side only none on the other side. Um, the texture of the grip's pretty good. Um, I actually like the texture quite a bit. I think they did a good job of the texture. I just wish it went higher up on the grip itself. So little things like that. Uh, sights are decent. You got a front white dot and then a blacked out rear notch. That's perfect in my, in my opinion. Like that's fine. Like that's, that's actually a pretty decent sight setup for from factory gun. Now, final thing is MSRP on this bad boy is like $392. I think street price can be pretty close to 350 maybe a touch below at some point that's pretty good that's pretty competitive compared to 365 and the hellcat so um, they're probably gonna sell boatloads of these things um the, the true thing is is it going to be a reliable carry piece now they're they're relatively still i mean he's been in the job for a year and a half or so or two but uh brett Voorhees, the ceo of taurus uh here in the u.s uh, I know he cares very much about trying to improve the uh, the perception of Taurus and their actual quality. Um, and I think this is their first like real serious attempt at that. And uh, I'd say on the surface, it's a promising entry. It looks pretty good. Time will tell and actual testing of it will, will tell the story. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what you say. Um, we mentioned or I mentioned to you before the show that like I'm I'm impressed with Taurus. I mean, they've kind of been kicked around for a long time as, as a, you know, a company for self-defense guns and stuff. And, um, but they have made extremely smart efforts, I think, towards the defensive gun, you know, niche. Um, and I, I mean, 
and I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying this thing looks tremendously similar to the 365. I mean, you were talking about the magazine release. It's shaped similar to a 365, that like kind of triangular. triangular type, kind of, yeah. yeah. The, the, the overall frame and look and even the stippling where it is, like I would say, um, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I've, you've said in the past about the 365, you wish that the, the uh, stippling went up a little bit higher on that as well. Right. So it's yeah. almost like, so I'm not sure. saying that they knocked anything off. I'm just saying like, if, if you like the 365, you'll probably like this gun and it depends on, you know, the trigger and the, 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 the um, reliability of it and everything like that. But it looks yeah. like a, a very promising, promising uh, contender. You know, comparing the two guns, I, I do prefer the P365 trigger over this one by far. Mm. Um, the 365 trigger is a better trigger. It's lighter. It's, I think it based on just some dry fire I've done, I think it's an easier trigger to manage um, on the 365, but I think this will be a very serviceable trigger. Uh, it's certainly appropriate for a defensive oriented gun. And you're exactly right. It, this, this is exactly the gun that if you were to go to Taurus and say, Hey Taurus, uh, here's <laughs> the SIG P365. We want you to design a competitor to that. This is what, like, th- this is about what you'd expect you'd get. Mm-hmm. Is it, it is a copy of the 365. Uh, maybe not a full copy. Like, I, I hope nobody, like, inter- <laughs> or takes that the wrong way. I don't, Here you know, we I'm go. Not, I'm not saying that, but, <laughs> but, but this is, you know, just on the surface again, it looks very, very similar size wise, form factor wise. Some of the design elements, sure, sure. Internally, though, very, very, very different. In fact, internally, very, especially the trigger mechanism, very Taurus like. So trigger mechanism is very similar to the G3, G3C as far as just the interface of the striker and the sear and, you know, that kind of thing. There's other components of it that are are quite unique to this gun as well. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that if you see this here, it's got a full length rail. Mm. So that's the internal uh, rail in the frame. And uh, this is designed as a chassis too, by the way, as far as I can tell, it looks like you can lift the whole, you know, guts of the pistol out of, out of the uh, plastic grip module. Uh, I don't know for sure. I mean, I assume that's possible to do. I just don't know how easy it is to do. And and I'm sure that Taurus doesn't necessarily recommend it, but um, at least I didn't see anything in the, in the owner's manual about being able to do that. So anyway, probably spend enough time talking about it again i'll do a more detailed review especially once i've shot it and i'm i'm i intend to shoot it side by side with the 365 just so i so i and also the hellcat so i got because i got one of those two so i'll i'll shoot the three of them and you know my opinion on the hellcat the 365 is the hellcat shoots um is it's less favorable for me as far as the it, it seems to be more more snappy and that kind of thing um, the 365 seems to just shoot very flat, very controllable, very consistent, uh, at least in my hands. And so it'll be interesting to see where this one, you know, stacks up against those two. Um, all right. Spent probably more time than I intended to. I'm going to move on to our gear reviews. I'm going to do mine pretty quick because I've done something similar in the past. Uh, and so this is more of, a, of an update, if you will. Not, not to the exact one I did in the past. But previously, I talked about the Enigma uh, from Filster, which is a holster mounting solution, uh, which is this faceplate here from like a carbon fiber, carbon fiber type material with a belt attached. So this is a holster system that is a true like standalone. You can wear it on your body without a belt, without 
really anything substantial uh, clothing wise because it's it's standalone. Um, but it allows you to mount and attach and carry very properly, very safely, and also very concealed a actual like Kydex holster. Um, the, the, Enigma, the original Enigma is compatible with any holster that has a standard 5 8 inch spacing on the holster mounting uh, uh, hardware as far as like where the wing or, or maybe like a clip or something would attach on the holster. If you have a wing that has 5 8 inch spacing, that's mod wing, dark wing, or the uh, RCS uh, uh, Raven Concealment Solutions uh, uh, or Systems uh, wing, um, then, then your holster can mount to the Enigma. Okay. And the the Enigma, I think, is industry changing. I think it is life changing in terms of what it brings to the table in terms of a a gun carrying solution. So just recently released. Now we have the light bearing Enigma. Uh Okay. And what that means is this is this one's one that is designed to work with holsters that are for, you know, guns that have weapon mounted lights on them. Um, So. Specifically, it works very well with the Filster Floodlight, which you see I have attached here. Um, and, and so the difference between the original Enigma and light bearing Enigma is just the mounting solution. So the original Enigma, you have those two screws where the wing attaches, where that it, where the Enigma attaches to the holster. In the case of light bearing one, you basically have these slots right through here, so that and, and you know they're adjustable, so you can. So this should work with a number of light bearing holsters, provided they have mounting holes down in the lower portion of the holster. You should be able to uh, attach the light bearing Enigma to the holster. And I'll tell you, this thing is awesome. Uh, again, it, it is a it is a the Enigma itself, not a holster. It's a mounting or carrying solution for a holster, and gives you the flexibility of not needing pants, belts, um, you know that kind of thing. So it'll it'll work with skirts and dresses and. Um, uh, you know, gym shorts and running pants and, you know, just, or, or nothing at all. If you, like, you could jump up in the middle of the night and be totally stark naked and throw on the Enigma with your holster and throw your gun in there. And like, you actually have, like, you could jump up, throw that on gun in the holster and you could go check things out, I guess, you know, naked. So, um, I, I, I just appreciate the innovation and the opportunity that this presents. And it's cool to see that now we have standard holsters and light bearing holsters both covered. And I've been very impressed. I'll tell you this. I'll say this much. I don't use the Enigma every day. Um, and I'm not going to go into specifics as, as to why that is exact for me. But I, I think for some people, it makes a lot of sense for a daily uh, carry option. Um, but, but it is someone that I use on a regular basis and it is, I think it conceals as well, if not better. And I think for many people, the Enigma helps them actually conceal better than a standard holster attached to their pants. And that is a very intriguing and promising, uh, thing to consider. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I had actually been using it with my Archon um, Type B for like two months now, and I, I, it's I only have one holster for the Type B. If Filster would make a Type B holster, that'd be pretty cool. But, um, but, um, yeah, and I, I use it. I've been using it every day for the past two months, whether I'm you know doing yard work or 
anything and uh, no matter what kind of clothing I'm wearing and it does conceal incredibly well and it's super comfortable. So, yeah. Yeah. Here's the other thing too, where this becomes very powerful for uh, just about anybody is if, if you have a, a kind of an oddball gun, and the mm-hmm. type is kind of that. Now yep. you managed to find a holster for it, but, but um, if you can put a, light i don't i don't have my teal i usually have a extra spare tlr sitting here but if you can put a tlr1 or an x300 on your gun then you can get an x300 or tlr1 uh uh filter floodlight holster and which is what this is here this is another floodlight okay you can get one of these these are compatible with almost any gun in the market the holster bears off the light, not the, not the gun itself. Um, and so com- with the floodlight combined with the Enigma, there's almost not, it, there is almost not a circumstance that I can imagine where you can't find a holster and gun combination to actually carry a gun concealed. Um, as long again, as you, if you can mount a light to it, then you can, be, at the very least, get a floodlight and carry a gun, you know some crazy oddball gun. Like there's always those quite those people are like I have a CZ seventy. <laughs> what is it? This this what's the forty five ACP one seventy? Uh, yeah, I'm having a know. brain. I'm having a brain fart. But like the CZ seventy five, but it's the it's the forty five ACP model. That that one's always like tough for people to find holsters for. It's an oddball gun for sure. It's like, but if you can put a light on it then you can use a floodlight mm-hmm. problem solved. Yeah. Brian asks on YouTube, is there a place to carry spare mag? No. Um, although I've seen some guys that have uh, uh, like, you can, you can get a filster ascent mag pouch and you can mount them directly to this. If you wanted, I actually prefer Brian having a separate mag pouch because I can customize that positioning a little bit better and, in, and usually improve the comfort of carrying that spare mag over having a singular holster mag pouch unit. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to your uh, review, Matthew. All right. Real quick. Uh, I, I recently wrote, uh, uh, did a review on the soft seals right here. Uh, soft seals. Um, these things are like, I don't want to use the term flippantly, but they are seriously like revolutionary. If you wear the, so what it is, is these soft seals, um, they replace the standard, ear ear pads on your muff style hearing protection electronic or or it doesn't have to be electronic but muff style hearing protection um these are gel filled these uh these soft sealed uh, ear pads from uh, ready up gear so basically you take off your old ones you put these on these are a little bit thicker um but other other than that you know they they're they're the same they, they seem to be the same size but i'll tell you they are so comfortable um, and they actually form a better seal. I notice, especially if I'm wearing sunglasses, certain sunglasses, if, if, if the, you know, the part that goes back over your ear, if it's more stiff or more pronounced, it kind of goes out sometimes yeah. with the standard, um, headphones, right. It, it'll, it'll create just a little gap where you, it's still stopping most of the sound, but you can hear a little bit of a difference. It's, it's compromising that, that, uh, seal just a little bit, but this is supple enough that it forms around it. And it takes away, you know, if you go to, uh, if you shoot for a long time, go out to the range and you're on the range for an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, um, 
you're probably going to notice that you get like little hot spots around your ears or you have to take them off and, and things. Cause you know, wearing anything like that for a long time gets uncomfortable. These things, man, I've been using these now exclusively and, um, awesome. Like seriously would never go back to like, if I bought any other, I, I would switch it out right away, right off the, off the bat. Um, I've let other people try them and anybody I'm like, Hey, try these on. And they're like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe this. Like, so I haven't had one person be like, ah, you know what? I like, I prefer the other ones. They're like not one. So, uh, check it out. If, if you haven't saw seal, they're gel, they're for different, um, uh, you know, compatible with different types. Um, just make sure you order the one that's for your specific set of muffs, but, uh, yeah, saw sealed gel ear pads for, uh, from ready up gear. Right on brother. Yeah. You know, I'm a fan of those as well. So that's, that's the only thing I use now. Yeah. The Roger 22s with soft seals on them. It's awesome. It's a great, yep. great, uh, great combination. Mm-hmm. So uh, now we come towards the end of our episode today. We do need to announce our giveaway winner this past week. For a vehicle firearm tactics uh, training course, this is a, our video training course. Uh, so we have a lucky winner. Matthew, who is that? Our lucky winner is Milton. Milton, please check your email. Congratulations, you won. Um, every once in a while, somebody doesn't check their email, and uh, I don't get a response. You got to respond within 72 hours. So, Milton, congratulations. Um, make sure you check your email if your name is milton okay. and is milton's last name start with a b yes b. Mil- milton b so this could be milton bradley it could be yes of the of the the brothers <laughs> um <laughs> milton b i didn't want to disclose his last name but all right um, it's, it's bradley for sure <laughs> Milton. Um, it's, the, and, it's the founder of the game company and, and you know, he's like 150 years old or something. Now. <laughs> yes. You can now learn how to shoot from your vehicle. Um, and next turn week, into a game, turn into a game. see a board game, vehicle farm tactics, the game. <laughs> so, and, uh, next week we're giving away the ready up gear, um, and I didn't even plan this to go along with these uh, Roger 22 earmuffs, but uh, the belt clip that you clip on your belt and then it holds your uh, hearing protection to your belt. So if you're like me, you don't re- place it here, here, and then you're running all around trying to find it and or it's on your head or whatever. Um, so yeah, the belt clip. So enter the giveaway so you can have a chance to win. Nice. Uh and, and the question came up, and, and here's where you can find the uh, where to enter the giveaway. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. Uh, so, John, you were asking about that on Facebook each week that that uh, the uh, giveaway renews, so it starts over afresh. So, guys, don't don't assume that you sign up once and that you're you know, automatically entered forever. And, you know, one day we're going to call you or email you saying you won. No, we, that, that list of entries each week is generated and then dumped. Okay. So people sign up and when the week comes and goes, we pick the winner, then that one's done and over with. You got to sign up each week. And by sharing the 
the the giveaway, you know, by sending folks a link, you know, it's it's all built in right within the system. So as you go through signing up for the giveaway, there, there's you have the option to share it with friends, family, whatever, and get extra entries, increase your odds of winning. So anyway, there you go. Guys, thanks so much for participating in the giveaway. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We appreciate all of you. Uh, a reminder of today's episode sponsors being CCW Safe and Ammo Supply Warehouse. And so with that, we're going to sign off from here, and uh, we'll see you back here later today. Jacob and I will be on for a second episode. Uh, and so for those of you that are joining us live, we'll see you in a few hours. Those of you that are catching us on the podcast only, well, we will, we'll, you'll hear us when you hear us. <laughs> so with that, we'll let you go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Take care.